Hi, David. Looking forward to our first podcast of 2021, and it's been an extraordinary start to the year. Hi, Alex. And you're right. It has been um, extraordinary and in some respects, a, a pretty dark start to a year that, you know, I think ultimately will prove to be one of recovery and normalisation. Um, you know, the storming of Capitol Hill by a pro-Trump mob you know, failed in its attempt to prevent the Congress from certifying the election of Joe Biden to the presidency. But it was, you know, amazing to see such disturbing scenes in the world's most important democracy. And I think, you know, will weaken America's standing in the world. And, and arguably Trump's behaviour since the November elections, you know, has contributed to the Democrats in turn winning the two runoff races in Georgia and gaining control of the Senate. You know, but the start of the year, new, new year has also, you know, coincided with uh, the emergence of new, more transmissible strains of the virus, um, you know, continuing rise in uh, infections, renewed lockdowns. And I think that is going to weigh on the economy in the first quarter. Uh, more positively, rollout of vaccines is underway. Uh, Israel is, is, is you know, far ahead of, of, of all the other countries and showing how it should be done. Um, and, and we enter the year with more rather than less monetary and fiscal support. Um, yeah, markets came to the new year after a pretty strong rally in risk assets in December. Uh, Bitcoin has once again gone uh, parabolic. Uh, we continue to see dollar weakness, but I still think there is this tug of war in markets between hopes centered around the uh, impact of uh, vaccines and the negative impact of the spread of the virus and, and current lockdowns. You mentioned the Democrats winning the Georgia Senate races. What are the implications for US policy and investors? Well, just as a quick recap, because uh, no candidate for the two Senate seats in Georgia got more than 50% of the popular vote, then state law required a runoff on January the 5th. And although the Republican candidates were actually the uh, front runners, the Democrats have in fact won both elections. So it means that the Senate is tied with 50 Democrat and 50 Republican senators, but the Democrats do have you know, a, a sort of tenuous control of the Senate um, because soon to be Vice President Kamala Harris will have the casting vote in the event of a tie. So, you know, we have actually got the, you know, much touted so-called blue wave of the uh, Senate House of Representatives and of course the White House and, and control of the Senate you know, albeit wafer thin, will certainly help President-elect Biden. Um, it will allow the Democrats to chair important Senate committees, such as finance, banking, budget. Uh, it will also make it easier to get Biden nominees for cabinet and other positions through the Senate. Um, they have the room as well with a simple majority to pass additional uh, uh, fiscal measures. Um, although when it comes to uh, tax changes um, that can really only be done by a simple majority once a year as part of the you know, annual budget reconciliation process. Um, and, you know, although the Democrats have control of the Senate ultimately through the vice president's casting vote, I think it is going to be quite a constrained 
um, Senate, it will be constrained by you know centrist Democrats, and the, and, and the Democrats will need to win over, I think, you know, some Republican uh, senators as as well. In, in theory, a simple majority could eliminate the filibuster, and that's the uh, arrangement that requires that a lot of bills need uh, 60 uh, votes in the Senate um, to be passed. But I, I, th I think it's pretty doubtful that Democrats will try to overturn the uh, filibuster. And, and I think even if they do, I think it's very, very unlikely they would actually get enough support um, to actually be um, successful. Uh, what does it mean for policy and markets? I think it supports our 2021 outlook themes of uh, recovery and rotation. Um, the initial market reaction was, I think, you know, quite telling. We had 10-year Treasury yield breaking above 1%, uh, relative underperformance of tech and energy stocks. I think Democrat control of the Senate increases the likelihood of a further fiscal package on top of the, you know, $900 billion that was agreed right at the end of last year. Uh, it does raise the prospect of antitrust and regulatory action that's not going to be welcomed by, I think, US tech and uh, energy companies, for example, um, and the possibility of at least a partial reversal of the Trump tax cuts, though I think with such a thin majority, that is going to prove difficult, and I don't think it's going to be a priority for the new administration, at least in the near term. So broadly speaking, I think it's net positive in terms of US and uh, global growth uh, because of the prospect of further fiscal stimulus, and it certainly takes out the tail risk as existing fiscal measures come to end, there's, there's a kind of fiscal cliff. A bit more mixed, I think, for US risk assets, US equities, because of the potential for higher taxes and greater regulation. Uh, and I don't think it changes the dynamic of a weaker dollar, which is going to be you know, driven by rising twin deficits, uh, the Fed remaining ultra-dovish, and uh, actually will yields declining as inflation expectations rise. Picking up on the rise in inflation expectations, is inflation something investors should worry about? Yeah, I, th I think the outlook for inflation is certainly, you know, top of mind for many investors, something we've been talking about a lot within um, uh, Blue Bay. Um, I mean, we haven't really changed our view that inflation you know, won't move sustainably above central bank targets in 2021. Um, because of base effects, um, inflation in the US could, you know, in fact, will move higher in the first half of this year. It could get above 2%, but I don't think it's going to stay there. Um, with unemployment still well above pre-COVID levels, um, you know, there's, there's very little wage push pressure that would sustain inflation above 2%, which, you know, as we've discussed uh, before, is the Fed's kind of condition for any uh, liftoff in rates. And, and in Europe, there's very little inflation pressure. And in, in, in fact, um, you know, with a stronger euro, that's actually weighing down on um, in inflation in, in the eurozone. Um, it's certainly true that market measures of inflation expectations in the US have been moving higher. Uh, the 10-year inflation break-even on Treasury inflation protected securities or TIPS is above 2% for the first time since late 2018. And as we've just discussed, you know, it's it's now much more likely with the Democrats taking control of the Senate that the US economy will get a further fiscal boost. And, you know, we do think there's 
substantial pent up uh, consumer demand, uh, large companies are in a pretty strong liquidity position. You know, so we could get a stronger recovery than even our above consensus uh, forecast and and that could translate into you know quicker pick up and more sustained rise in inflation in the second half and you know and if the Fed was then to revise up its own inflation forecast and signal that in 2022 it will start to taper uh, QE prepare the ground for rate hikes I, I I certainly think that would be you know a source of market uh, volatility but you know just to come back to our baseline that you know, inflation is going to rise, but only relatively modestly through 2021. I think there is a tail risk that it, it moves higher more quickly. Um, and so I don't think investors should discount that risk. And, you know, markets could start to price an incremental tightening by the Fed towards the end of the year. And that, I think, could mark an inflection point for a lot of uh, markets. And finally today, David, we saw a strong rally in December in risk markets, yet the virus and lockdowns continue to spread. Is there a disconnect between the market and the real world? Yeah, good question. I mean, the the relationship between financial markets and uh, the real world can often be um, uh, nebulous. Um, I, I think the current sort of apparent disconnect you know, reflects the fact that the market is trying to look through the current spread of the virus and lockdowns to the expected recovery in the second half of the year once vaccines are rolled out. And, you know, the key assumption that investors are making is that the rollout of vaccines is is a logistical challenge that governments and pharmaceutical companies will overcome and that by the second quarter, high risk groups will be inoculated. Uh, The pressure on health services will ease lockdowns will come to an end and there will be this you know gradual return to normality that will you know turbocharge the economic recovery and you know which is already you know receiving a lot of ongoing fiscal and monetary um, support I, I, th- I think what would really challenge that market narrative is is a sort of doom scenario that mutation of the virus renders vaccines ineffective to new strains um, public health officials, appear to be confident that current vaccines will be effective against the fast-spreading British variant, but there are concerns around the South African uh, variant. Uh, Studies are currently underway. Uh, One of the researchers involved is quoted saying it's very unlikely that the variant will completely negate the impact of vaccines, while the Moderna chief executive officer has stated his confidence that their vaccine could be quickly tweaked if needed. So I do think that, you know, the biggest downside risk, if you like, is a, you know, uh, changes in the uh, virus that, you know, meaningfully reduces the efficacy rate of vaccines or there's prolonged delays in the rollout of the uh, vaccine. So I think these are things clearly to be watched. But you know, I guess my, my, my other real concern in terms of the market is, not so much it's disconnected from reality, but you know, for certainly you know, a number of uh, assets, valuations are at levels that are close or even through the kind of pre-COVID um, levels, and so there's not much room for disappointment. And you know, that said, the ref- although the reflation narrative is consensual, um, I, I still don't think investors are fully positioned for it. I still think there's a lot of capital on the side waiting to buy any dips. I think in terms of relative valuations, I still think there's room for 
um, emerging market assets to rally further. I think there's uh, value in um, high yield. But yeah, just as in the second half of last year, when economies were only just emerging from you know what had been one of the deepest recessions ever, um, you know the market began to price a more complete recovery in 2021 and started to rally. We may find that this year the economy does perform pretty strongly, but the market then again looks forward and starts to price the end of policy support. And you know that. Yeah, I think markets might get spooked by the prospect of uh, central banks eventually turning off the liquidity tap. But yeah, I think this is a worry for the second half of the year rather than for the first. Thanks for your time today, David, and speak to you soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties, as defined by the FCA only, and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice, and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials. The offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K 3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.